Good evening, and welcome to another episode of the Living Fiction Podcast, cheeky memoirs of how a DID system became a manipulator's personal puppet show. Twice. I am your host, and the host of the Living Fiction System, Xanth C.L. Zeitschuk. The trigger warnings for this episode, Southern Victorian Gatsby, are as follows. Loss of a loved one, grief, toxic relationship, manipulation, misgendering, and anti-autism rhetoric. I watched the Great Gatsby remake, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio in theaters the spring of 2013. It had the most profound effect on me. James Gantz, never feeling like he belonged in this life, becoming Jay Gatsby, a charismatic mogul of ambition throughout the Prohibition era. He made an empire of foreign territory, all in the name of love. It's still one of my favorite films of all times, and I rewatch it often. I remember a line where Jay admits he might have been a great man if he had never fallen in love. I can't help but relate. As I said, my alleged attraction to April was something I felt I inherited and didn't quite know what to do with. I found her interesting but irritating. Once, when we were out walking, she saw graffiti that said, I'm punk, and started laughing, fake and loud like some sort of anime villain. No true punk would actually write, I'm punk. <laughs> she punched my arm when I stared blankly, telling me that the only reason I didn't find this funny is because of my autism. April certainly had an interesting view of autism as a whole. Neb had quite accepted her autism. Suddenly, her automatic assignation to the classroom's favorite target began to make more sense to her. I don't think that I actually am autistic. Uh, This brain has autism. I feel that my core personality fights with it at all times. I try to hide it. I used to deny having it, as problematic as that is. It doesn't suit me. I feel like, as an alter, I was never meant to have autism. Couple that with April's theories to self-aggrandize. See, I'm a sociopath and you're autistic. They're actually pretty similar. Neither of us have any empathy or conscience. It's just that sociopaths are more charismatic and a charming version. And you've got the awkward end of things. Yep, and that's actually what she thought. The pinnacle of charm. That was her. Oh, and the autism was also the reason I disliked her favorite video game series, Legend of Zelda. It wasn't a personal preference. It was autism, obviously. By this time, I had started going by Clockwork. See, for short. I told you I was probably based on Black Butler. Neb had her own brief stint into steampunk fashion to foreshadow me, two top hats and a tailcoat. I still wear the tailcoat, but I wanted more. Thankfully, dear old mum had a good windfall during the holidays, and I was able to buy myself a couple of ruffly tops and my very first velvet frock coat. See, Neb had hardly been able to experiment with her wardrobe. April, with her artistic experience, had announced herself the authority on everything color, shape, layering, and brand. 
Anything Neb bought, from makeup to clothing, was run by April first and usually rejected. Neb's hair was April's own personal project. Deviation from this was guaranteed ridicule, as every decision made without April's input was inherently inept. Oh, you bought that brand? Well, it's only going to make your chest look even bigger. You should have gotten this other brand. That color washes you out. It's bad with the redness in your face. But I went out in my frock coat that I didn't tell her about. I was shaking as I did it, nervous that I was as hopeless at aesthetic as she professed. But I wasn't. And I looked fabulous. Almost a decade of Neb hiding herself with jeans and hoodies, and here I was in the same body looking bloody glamorous. My Victorian fashion became my very first rebellion, as well as my declaration of identity. I don't believe this was the system's first time switching hosts. Neb used to insist that she had someone more confident and more artistic than her, who she called Star, who died when Shadow did. I figured the same thing had happened again, and that it was my turn now. My magical inworld was very much based on souls, including soul splitting, so this seemed like something that could just happen. I told those closest to me that I felt like a different person. Vex didn't seem surprised. April seemed dismissive. How could Ned possibly go dormant when she had April's sunny disposition to look forward to? Soon came the summer. April was preparing to go on break when I met Elizabeth at my favorite cafe, Gallery Espresso. Elizabeth was a tiny slip of a thing, with crystal blue eyes, short brown hair, that dressed like she was also from another decade. More specifically, the 1940s. Skirts, polka dots, pantyhose, lace blouses, all in black with dashes of sapphire blue. We chatted for hours in the cafe, where I learned that she was in Savannah for summer break from a university in Nova Scotia. She was bisexual, that her mum was homophobic, and that she loved foreign film. It was love at first sight. I'll do my best to sum it up, but it was that sweet sort of puppy love. We would talk over free wine at gallery openings and get giggly on the couch. I think that's actually my first time getting drunk. We would chat endlessly about books, languages, and teas. It was her suggestion that I bleach my hair blonde, much like the character I was based off of. You really are like a fictional character. I swear, sometimes it feels like I've made you up. Gods, I still melt at those words. We dated about a month and a half when I learned that she had unfortunately passed away due to a childhood illness she had never told me about. It was a short relationship, but I still ache over it to this day. I resolved to base a character off of her in my rewrites of Zeitstruck, and I did. This, however, put me in a vulnerable position of tragically unspent romanticism. April had already gone home for summer break at the time. She had gone on a couple of odd tangents about how the young man in the fedora was flirting with her and probably wouldn't feel that way if she started saying she were a boy. In fact, she planned to pretend she was a boy to trick him into losing interest. I was already exasperated by April's rigid adherence to labels at this point, so I didn't take it seriously. After all, she said it was pretend. Then she posted a comic. It's lost to the internet archives, and I don't even have permission to post it. But it featured the two of us as chibis in a three-panel comic. April's chibi says, 
that guy's cute. And mine says, I'm a lesbian. As if I'll dismiss any observation of male beauty because my alleged sapphic nature had made me blind to anything masculine. Her chibi had a speech bubble of the Mars symbols and an arrow pointing to a flat chest. The the piece, I believe, was labeled something like Forever Alone. I found this annoying for quite a few reasons. First of all, I had never explicitly stated that I was a lesbian. Neb had, but by this point, I had already explained to April that I felt like a different person. I was still figuring out my sexuality, and I had no clue of what my gender even was. I also hated labelism at this point. It seemed like lazy writing. Also, Neb had asked her out several times and had been turned down even before April seemed to start questioning her gender. I confronted her on it, basically saying, Listen, I've been telling you for months now. I'm not Neb. I feel like a different person. Her argument summed up was basically, just because you started dressing like you came out of a costume store doesn't mean your personality changed. If you aren't a lesbian, then why aren't you dating me? I've been telling that guy that's had a crush on me that I'm a boy, and I'm pretty sure that's why you won't date me. If you were bi, you would have asked me out already. (laughs) And I did. I did ask her out to prove a point and win the argument. If that wasn't the most fitting way for this clusterfuck nightmare of a relationship to start, I don't know what it is.